Well then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, a couple of summers between college, uh, college semesters, I was a camp counselor. And you've probably heard me talk about camp because I, I love working at camp. One of the reasons I love working at camp, too, is that's also where I met my wife, who I adore. So, I mean, I've got a lot of fond memories of camp. But one of the unique things about being a camp counselor is you have every job. You have every job at the camp. You're the cook, you're the janitor, you organize the games, you name it, we did it all. But one of my favorite jobs at camp was leading campers through the challenge course. And even to this day when Rachel and I go with uh, Mrs. Kraminga up to Lutheran Island camp on the 8th grade retreat with FLS, we get to go to Lutheran Island camp and do the challenge course, and I, I still just love, love doing the challenge course. And, and I don't, I know why I love it so much. The, the, every aspect of it is just a ton of fun to, to watch and to work with the kids through it. Now, if you're not unfamiliar with a challenge course, basically you've got something, you've got an object, you've got rope set up, you've got cable set up, whatever it might be, and it's, you are given a very simple set of instructions. Get from point A to point B without touching the ground. Okay, sounds pretty simple. Well, the problem is, is that there's like a 10-foot gap that you have to cross at one point in time. So how are you going to cross that gap? Well, it's on those who are doing the challenge to figure it out. And you, as the, the counselor or the person leading it, are, are telling them, you know, well, think about this or think about that. But what I love is I love seeing the, the kids uh, just step up and, and they work with each other. They, it's, it's fun for them. And so they, they want to do this, and they try and figure it out, and they, they encourage each other. They say, well, why don't we try this? Well, why don't we try that? But what's interesting is how they just trust one another. I mean, if it's the eighth grade uh, class when we go up to Lutheran Island camp, yeah, they've built that relationship a little bit, so they might trust in each other because of that. But when I worked at summer camp, it was the same sort of trust, and these kids had only known each other for maybe a day or two, but yet they just trust one another. And it's, it's just amazing and strange to see this happen, because they just trust one another. Uh, one of the more famous challenges is the trust fall. And you might be familiar with the trust fall. You, you, know, you put your arms up and you just kind of lean back and fall into the arms of a stranger and then they catch you. Uh, see, that's, that's the lame version of the trust fall in my opinion. The real version of the, trust of the trust fall is when they're up on a platform that is about six to seven feet off the ground and they have to fall back into the arms of a bunch of people and trust them that they will catch them and put them safely on their feet. And what's really cool is to see how all of these people do it, to see how nervous they get as they're, they're shaking on that platform. They, they are looking ahead. They're not looking at the people behind them, so they can't trust even their eyes, and they just fall. And there's this moment, because the platform's high up, that it's just free fall. So there's probably a split second where they're going, oh no, is there anybody actually there to catch me? But trust is a fascinating thing 
because it, it's so natural to us, but then there's other parts where it's just unnatural, right? So when we're babies, we, we trust our parents. We trust our, our parents to take care of us and do everything that we need them to do for us. When we're students, you're a student in a classroom and you just naturally trust your teacher. You, you listen to them because you trust that, okay, this is an authority that's going to take care of me. When we get older, we, we trust in our, our employers or in the other side of things, our employees to, to do work. We trust in our, our family to take care of one another. We trust in our spouses to be for, there for us when we need them. It, it's just a natural part of being human. But yet even that, really, there's so much variance in how we trust in things. Because, I mean, look at the, the coming presidential elections. I would, I would argue that one of the major things that people vote on, more than party lines, is whether or not they can trust the candidate. Whether or not this person is trustworthy. Do we trust them to run the country, balance budgets, manage budgets, work with people, work with other countries, faithfully, faithfully represent us as the United States of America? But we also place our trust in all these other things, right? When you're driving your car and you need to stop, you trust that by pressing in the brake pedal, it's going to activate the system in your car to stop your car. You also, when you go to the grocery store and you pick up food, you trust the grocery store to supply you with healthy food that is going to then nourish your body and not make you sick. But what's weird is that we so often trust ourselves with our own salvation. We think that by, by being a good person, by being just and merciful, by going through all these motions, you know, well, I go to church every Sunday, so that must mean that I'm saved. We trust in all of these works that we do, and that that's what's going to save us. That somehow through these works will be deemed as righteous and not unrighteous. But yet, we look through scripture and we see that this is the same problem of the people of Israel. See, the Jews believed that by their works, by their heritage even, they trusted in those things rather than in God, and they trusted that that would save them. But very clearly in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist says that if God needs to, he can raise up new children of Abraham from a bunch of rocks. He doesn't need you to accomplish his purposes. It's so weird that we place our trust in the things of this life outside of ourselves, but yet in the things of the life to come, we place that trust inside of ourselves. Suddenly, we're the only ones who can handle that. When we look at this, this gospel reading from John chapter 20, we look at Thomas and we like, look at this guy, he's an idiot. Look at all of these other apostles and they are trusting, but Thomas, no, Thomas, Thomas has to see to believe. What, what a dope, right? How can he not trust that Jesus has risen from the grave? Thank God that when Jesus says that 
Blessed are those who believe and have not seen, but still believe. Blessed are those people. Thank God I'm one of those people. That arrogance that we have is so sinful because we're all like Thomas. We, we want to see and touch with our hands in order to believe. We, we want to test things in order to have our trust in them. But we do not need to because God is there for us. But sin blinds us to that. As Nancy put on that blindfold and, and wandered around, that's what sin does to us. It makes us foolish and arrogant. It's, and you've heard me say this a bunch of times, but I love how Luther puts it. Sin causes us to curve inwardly, to stop looking outside and to just look inside. It's, trust is such a weird thing. As, you think, as I think about it more and more, we trust all of these things that are regularly trustworthy, but then we also put our trust in other things that are not trustworthy. So again, I told you, you, you trust the government and you trust the people of the government because they say, hey, I'm going to do this. Then they did it, and you're like, okay, this person is going to keep what they say. I trust them. That trust has been tested and proved. Same thing with the grocery store. You go and you buy a chicken breast for dinner, and you go home and cook it, and it doesn't make you sick. Okay, I can trust to get my food from that source. But then we even trust in other strange things, like rumors and stuff like that. I remember when I was living back in Missouri, there was this sandwich shop that one person got sick at because one person mishandled the food, right? And so what exactly got them sick, I don't remember, but it was, you know, of course it wasn't a good thing. But then this rumor spread that so many people got sick from this sandwich shop, and everybody just believed them. And of course now the sandwich shop is closed. They trusted in that rumor they, and, and they didn't test those people to say whether or not they're actually true. They didn't go to the, the sandwich shop to test whether or not the rumor was actually true. They just trusted. Isn't that bizarre? That's, that's so bizarre to me that we will trust in things that we have tested, and then we will not trust in things that we have tested. And then we will just trust in things that are just... Frivolous, like, like rumors. It, it's so strange. But if somebody blindly trusts in something, especially the witness of somebody else, we think they're crazy. I would think somebody's crazy. You just trust what that person said? But honestly, that's, that's the craziness of the church. It, it's rather strange, but... That's what makes our faith so crazy to so many because people think that we're just blindly trusting what other people have said. But that is the point of witnessing. You see, there's this, again, this weird thing of trust is that we, we trust what people tell us. That if somebody we know, somebody that we have tested, tells us something, we immediately trust them. We've tested them in other ways, so we know that they're trustworthy, but they could be lying to us. It's possible, but I don't think so because I trust them. 
This is how the church has actually grown. Not by lies, but by, or, or by false rumors or by anything like that, but by people trusting the word and the witness of other people. It's, it's really strange. Because this is the foundation of the early church. We have people like Thomas who say, I have to see to believe. But then we turn to the book of Acts, which is all about how God has worked through these people to spread his word. And most of them are foreigners. How do I know I can trust this guy? I always think of Philip and the Ethiopian. This Ethiopian is riding along. Philip just walks up and, and starts revealing the scriptures to him. And this Ethiopian immediately just trusts him. This is weird, right? So what's the key? Well, the key is, number one, that it's the truth. And number two, this truth has been tested. And number three, this is all blessed and proven by the Holy Spirit. That we preach the apostolic faith because it means that we haven't changed what the apostles have said. We have shared what we have heard. We have been told about this God that chose to partner with a rebellious nation and that through this nation, he worked to accomplish his purposes. And then finally, he, he joins this, this rebellious nation, fully human. He joins these people, and he is God in the flesh, preaching and teaching, healing, doing miracles. But we also see this God in the flesh, as a part of this nation, is then betrayed by this nation, is killed by this nation. And not just killed in any way, but killed in one of the worst ways possible. For crimes that he didn't even commit. Well, that's not true. He did commit the crime of being the king of the Jews, because he is the king of the Jews. But we see this king of the Jews suffer and die. But yet, we as humans are very familiar with death. So what makes this guy's death any, anything special? Well, what makes this guy's death special is that we have seen him rise from the, get, from the dead. This guy was dead and is now alive. And that's the difference. That's why we trust in this guy. And how do we know that we can trust this man? How do we know? Because this guy said he would do all these things and then did it. And so then what he says must be true. So that when he promises us that because he lives, we will live too, we can trust in those things. And this is the witness that we have received. But again, how do we know we can trust it? And again, it's the fact that it's the truth from God. That this truth is from God. This is what's going on with Acts 5 today. This, this wise Pharisee stands up, calms down all these other guys who are getting all riled up and mad and angry. They want to kill all these, all these darn Christians who are all over the place. And he says, just, just listen. Right? You remember that guy? That guy who started all this stuff, got all these followers, then he died, and they just kind of wandered off? Remember that other guy? That other guy who got all those followers together? His name was Judas. And he got all these followers together, and then he died, and all of Judas's followers just vanished. 
But now this Jesus guy, he enters the scene, he gets all these followers, he dies too, even though they say he's risen from the grave. But if this is not from God, all of this will just fade away. But if it is from God, there's nothing we can do to stop it. And if we oppose it, we are opposing God. This is to be trusted then. Because for 2,000 years, it hasn't faded away. It is from God. It is important that we talk about our faith as the apostolic faith because we're saying the same thing that the apostles are saying. We are preaching the same Christ crucified, the same Christ risen from the grave, the same Christ who has forgiven the sins of all people everywhere, regardless of nation, race, time, place, doesn't matter. They're forgiven. And this work that God has done is to be trusted. And the reason that we can trust it is because we have tested it time and time again. Because, think about it, right? If you've got a stream that you're, you've got to cross when you're hiking out in the woods, you've got a log over the stream, you're going to test the log first with your feet to make sure it's not going to collapse under you. That's just the wise thing to do. But this is also what we do with God. We test our faith in him. Can we really trust this guy? But time and again, it comes back to us that we can. We, we have been promised all of these wonderful things, and then we have received them. We have prayed to God, and our prayers have been answered. We have gone to him, and he is actually there for us. And as we hear in other places in Scripture, like in, uh, in Malachi, right? God says, try me. Put me to the test. As, of course, they're talking about with the tithe that the people are withholding. God is telling them that this is what I expect of you. And if you do this, I will bless you. Just try it. Just put it to the test and see if it will actually work. Peter picks up on this exact same thing, right? That God also tests our faith in him. That he, he puts pressure on this faith to strengthen it, to purify it, to make it better. To just keep it focused on the gospel message of Christ crucified. And all of this testing happens in the daily life of a Christian. The daily life of the Christian is to be found in prayer, in God's word, and in witnessing to people. And in prayer, God answers our prayers. In God's word, he reveals to us who he is and shows us that we can trust him. And in witnessing, we are participating in the apostolic faith, that faith that we put our trust in, the words of the apostles that we put our trust in, that they have told us the truth, that God through his Holy Spirit has blessed their work so that we might trust them. So again, there's that question. Who do you trust? Are you going to trust the words of a man? Are you going to trust the words of a politician? What do you put your trust in? Are you going to trust in, in a person who says one thing and does another? 
Are you going to trust in the things of this world that they work fine today, but then they're broken tomorrow? Or are you going to trust in God, who has remained steadfast and true since day one? And in full confidence, I can say, trust in God. In my own walk of faith, God has proven himself time and again. He has tested my faith, and I have been strengthened because of it. I know that through the work of Christ, I am redeemed. I know that this has been brought to me through all of the apostles and all of the witnesses and Christians who have come before me who have led me to this truth. And I know in full confidence that God is at work through his Holy Spirit to bless me with those words. I know this is true. This is trustworthy. I know that I can go to my God in prayer and I will be answered. I know that I will receive everything I need for this life and for the next. I know because he has confirmed himself to be trustworthy and true. Who do I trust? I trust God because he has proven himself to me. And I would challenge you to try him, to test him, and see that he is true. Amen, brothers and sisters.